I haven't met every one of you, but some of you guys I have. My name is John. Um, we're in our third week of our Overseers series, and uh, it's titled Convictions. The purpose of this series is for our congregation here at Savior to hear the deepest convictions, at least one of them, uh, from each of the five overseers here. We want to share a truth that has made a difference in our lives. Um, our hope is that through the series, you'll have a richer understanding as what it's like to be under the plural plurality of leadership here at Savior. Um, right? our, our mission statement is that uh, to know the Savior and to be the community. So, um, yeah, my, my conviction has been something I've been thinking about in the last 18 months. Uh, it's been coming back to me just because uh, 18 months ago, um, I had a kid. So I've had countless thoughts about what I want my son Logan to know about myself uh, from Kat, his mom, my wife, and the world around him. So many things that he could learn um, through us. But, but if there's one thing, what would that be? What is that one thing that I want him to know in each stage of his, each stage of his life? Right, The conviction that will, will carry him through as he grows and develops, right? This conviction I wanna share with you guys as well. Uh, my heart towards God's family, I think is very similar, shares the same sentiments as my heart towards my own family. And so the conviction I'll be sharing, um, hopefully it's, it's not too hard to follow, but um, in some ways I'll be sharing how I was able to be convicted of this truth as a newer believer. Um, when, as a new believer in my college days, and then how has it evolved to today? And so um, the passage that we're going to be reading is in Matthew 16. Uh, we can turn there. It'll be shot up as well. Matthew 16, verses 24 through 27. So as a newer and young believer in my college days, I read this passage, right? Uh, I wrestled with it. Because this passage talks about how Jesus describes what it means to follow him. So uh, today we'll be covering it in three sections. First section is going to be what it means to follow Jesus. I'll repeat that one more time. What it means to follow Jesus. The second section, maybe about halfway, uh, why we should follow Jesus. Why we should follow Jesus. In the last section is our short application, how we follow Jesus. <clears throat> so let's start with what it means to follow Jesus. Before we read the passage, I wanted to give a little bit of background. Um, maybe it's too much background, but it's, it's, I think it's important for us to understand uh, what, what is the context. Uh, I want to paint a picture of uh, what has happened um, what is the dynamic between Jesus and his disciples, okay? Up to this point, Jesus and his disciples, right, uh, were doing ministry together for about two to three years, right, performing miracles, preaching about the kingdom of God. Um, but the disciples didn't fully understand what it meant that Jesus was the Christ, right? They had an idea. They said, I'm going to follow you, but not completely. So right before this passage, uh, Peter recognizes Jesus as the Christ, as you are the Christ, right? The Son of God. And so this is a turning point. This is a critical turning point where Jesus indicates that the Son of Man has now come to suffer and die at the hands of the chief priests and the elders. He lays it out there. 
And so the disciples thought this whole time, like, oh, you know what, like, I'm, I'm following Jesus, like, he's right there, right, it's very adequate, right? My expectations of Jesus is that he is going to, right, bring um, justice to our situation, right? To the oppressive Roman governments, to the corrupt religious leaders, right? Jesus is going to make things right. And so at this point, Jesus is actually informing his disciples, hey, you know what, your expect- expectations of me, Right? They're actually not aligned to my will. Right? When Peter confessed that Jesus was the Christ, Jesus commends Peter and says, you are blessed, right? For it was not flesh and blood that revealed this to you, but it was my Father in heaven. He's commended. And then when Peter hears of, wait, Jesus is going to suffer and die, right? Then it changed. And went from, right, uh, commending, and now it's went to a rebuke. Jesus rebukes Peter and says that you are a hindrance to me. If you're not for me suffering and dying, right, you are not setting your mind on the things of God. You are setting your mind on the things of man. So this is the beginning where the, the disciples begin to realize, you know what? Following Jesus is actually radically different than their expectations, so let's jump into our passage, Matthew 16, 24 through 27. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. So Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, right? This is a perfect example of their disciple has made the decision. They decided, I'm going to come after you, you, Jesus, right? And so Jesus is clarifying that what, it, what does it really mean to follow him? Not just by professing, yes, I follow Jesus, but in action. He says, let him deny himself. Let a person deny himself. What does it mean to deny yourself? To deny yourself means that you have to humble yourself. You have to set your expectations, your dreams, your desires, your interests, your relationships, your goals, your preferences, your opinions, your morals, your ideals, your values, things that make up who we are, not just like my car, my material wealth, right? And it's not just certain parts of us that we have to set aside, that we have to deny. But we have to deny the whole of us, who we are in our whole personhood, who we identify as. Right? In our sinful nature, we fundamentally see that we are God. Right? Before we even believe in Jesus, right? that the natural way of thinking is that I am in charge of my own life. That I have the ultimate authority to determine how I live my life, what I want to pursue. And so denying ourselves isn't just denying ourselves of these like luxurious things, these dreamy, awesome things that this world promises, like prosperity, perfect relationships, and successful careers. Denying ourselves means that it's a fundamental perspective of who has the authority over our lives. So depending on who you see as holds authority over your life, that will determine 
your dreams, your hopes, your expectations, your plans, your desires, your interests, your opinions, your morals and values, your everything. For the Christian, we say that we follow Christ through trusting in him, placing our faith in him, right? We, we repent of our sin and we no longer trust in ourselves, but we trust in God. He's the one who holds authority, right? And it's Christ when we make that decision, say, I'm going to repent of seeing myself have, having authority and seeing that God does, right? It's Christ who gives us the new internal life. So what we understand here is that we have to deny ourselves, we have to repent of our own authority because we can't just put on the new life that Christ has promised us. We can't just put it on when we're still holding on to the old one, right? They're incompatible. Jesus says, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. This is the first time that Jesus mentions the cross to his disciples, right? Later on, it's when he would actually explain and reveal specifically the cross is how he's going to die. Um, short history lesson, right? Some of us do are familiar with this, but like the cross was the execution tool for the Roman Empire, right? Um, it wasn't just a symbol of this is uh, capital punishment, right? But it actually was excruciating, right? So it was the device used for punishments. Uh, the process was intentionally to humiliate that person, to torture them to death, and eventually expecting execution as well. So if I'm Jesus' disciple, right, hearing about the cross is like, wait, what? It's the last thing. It's the last thing I would want to hear, let alone telling me that's what is to come. The statement, take up your cross, right, made the disciples and even us as the readers consider the gravity of Jesus' point. Uh, I don't know about you, but, you know, as a, as, as a reader myself, I think the disciples are thinking, you know, hold up. This is not exactly quite what I was thinking, Jesus. You know, like, I thought there was going to be glory, you know, like, glory, not suffering. What's up with that, right? Couldn't there be any other way than taking up our cross? I mean, if you're really God, there has to be some other way, right? So why did Jesus state that the cross is the way for his disciples and not something else? Why didn't he say good deeds? Why didn't he say a moral life. Jesus came to defeat sin and to redeem and ransom his people through sacrificing himself out of love. He was the sinless and perfect sacrifice for us. He paid all of the past, the present, the future sin of all humanity. The cross that Jesus speaks about was the cross that brought death to Jesus. And that cross enables those who trust in Jesus, that he was the rightful payment, the rightful atonement for their sin to be forgiven, for those who trust in his work and what he's done, that they would be reconciled to God and that they would have eternal life. That's why the cross was brought up by Jesus. So what does it mean to take up our cross? It means that we have to die to ourselves. It's, it's an actual death to self. Now, we're all living... So how does that make sense? Jesus is not actually being literal about this, right? In Luke's gospel, 
Um, it's recorded that Jesus says that you are to take up your cross daily. And so since Jesus died in our place, we are to live for others to see that Jesus' death shining through us as living sacrifices, right? He died in our place so that others may see that his death is our example to be a living sacrifice unto others, Romans 12, 2. So following Jesus means that we are to imitate Jesus, to sacrifice ourselves as he did, just in the way we live. And so this following, right, isn't just the initial point of like, I believe, right? Jesus, I want, I want to follow you, I believe, right? But it's in every context of our lives. Since his death and resurrection is not just towards our salvation, but his death and resurrection is applied through every part of our life. A verse that we read at the beginning of service, um, I think it depicts very well what death itself looks like. Let me read it for us. Uh, it's Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life now, in the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Right? So it says, it is no, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's that I am dead to myself, right? I am dead to my sin, and I am alive to Christ. So going back to when I was a new believer and I was reading this, right? Um, I felt like, I felt what the disciples felt the first time they heard it, right? There was this weight. There was uh, this radical seriousness to the decision that I professed that, yeah, I'm gonna follow Jesus. And now it's like, man, can I really follow him? Right? This is such a like, high ask that God has. So we understand what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, let's continue on into our next section and reading about uh, why we should follow Jesus. Verse 25. For whoever who would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's very clear that Jesus is making a point about an inverse relationship. Saving your earthly life will end that you are losing life that is truly life. Losing your earthly life for Jesus' sake, meaning that if you are to deny yourself, to take up your cross and follow him, right, will end in gaining life that is truly life. I don't know about you, but uh, I'm, a, I'm a very, like, generally, like, rational person, logical person, and so I ask a lot of questions. My question is, why does it have to be this way? Why can't I have my cake and eat it too? Why lose anything at all? And why can't it just be win-win for both earth and heaven? Makes sense to me. <clears throat> I would say the answer to this question is not as mysterious as it could be. Like, ah, only God knows, right? <clears throat> if you could describe, if I were to describe a place, right, that had no sickness, no pain, no war, no suffering, no poverty, no conflict, no hunger, had all the wealth, had all the health, had all the entertainment for the rest of your life for eternity, right? How would we describe that place? Awesome, right? It would be like heaven. It is heaven. But what if this place existed and God wasn't there? Would you be satisfied? For the Christian, I think this is this is an important question for us to, to ask ourselves regularly. I mean, for the non-Christian too, but 
especially for the Christian, right? Like we, we look our eyes to heaven. Why? So the, the answer to the question as to why can't I live for things in this world and for God? Like, why not both? Why is there that inverse? Uh, last week, Pat reminded us that uh, God is a holy God, meaning that he's set apart from his creation, right? Creation is beautiful. I mean, if you drive around, right, there, there's things to be amazed at for what a God has created, right? We, people, are created in the image of God, right? I think that, that's an amazing thing, especially when you have your own kid, you're like just seeing like, how are humans humans? That's crazy, right? Like all the bio stuff that I, I've learned in, in school, like it doesn't make even a dent into like seeing f- firsthand in your own life, right? How a human develops. As beautiful and as marvelous as creation is, that God has created it to be, right? Creation is still infinitely far shorter from how glorious and perfect our creator is. There isn't a close comparison, right? So if we were to say, I want to love both. I want to love, you know, like this world and my life here. But I also, don't forget, I want to live for Jesus and his kingdom, right? We aren't truly beholding and worshiping God for who he, who he is, for who a holy God is. Let me put that in, in the positive, right? The more we see who God is, the more we love him. Because he is love, he is holy, he is perfect, he is justice. The more we love him, as Jesus describes in this inverse relationship, naturally we will love our earthly lives less and less to the point where we can say, I'm willing to forsake it all in comparison to what is gained. Eternal life and full intimacy with God. Verse 26. For what, will, what, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Take a quick water break. So <clears throat> this is a very straightforward question in terms of that Jesus intends it to be rhetorical. <clears throat> for most readers, it's like, oh, yes. Mm, yes, Jesus, our souls are... Can't even put a price on it, right? Um, It's not worth the wealth and success. Yeah, clearly that's the answer. And so the answer is no profit. What will it profit a man? No profit. And in fact, it will be a loss, right? So we know the answer. And we do our devos. And we read this and we say, I agree, Jesus. Help me to not care for the things of this world. Amen. And before we just jump past this and say, like, no, duh, like, I know that this is true, right? I agree with it. And maybe, maybe you don't, right? I want to stop here for a moment, jump back to, as a new believer at the time, I, I read this passage, and I was reminded why I decided to follow Jesus, right? Jesus' statement that even gaining the whole world will end in nothing was kind of like a splash of cold water in my face, right? It was a cold truth that just resounded with it resounded in me. Gaining the whole world is what every person lives for. Right? We spend our whole life pursuing it, whatever that may be, whether it's materially, whether it's relationally, whether it's like emotionally. But Jesus' words kept ringing true to me. This holds truth 
just made so much sense. So either Jesus was being poetic and not literal, okay, or he was being serious, speaking plainly as God. And I said, you know what? Um, I'm going to choose the latter. And this conviction began to form my life. And I said, my life is to be lived for Jesus, no longer for myself, knowing that in the end, uh, this life will end. But um, I look for the, the eternal life and the rewards there. When I read this now, right, uh, as a follower of Jesus over 12 years, uh, I'm not saying like I'm the most super mature Christian by far, right? Um, but again, it's easy for me to read this passage, read the rhetorical question Jesus has, and answer simply, of course, right? I profit nothing. But Jesus demanded an answer from his disciples, not in words, not in words. He didn't say like, what's the answer, disciples? A, B, C. He's not looking for an answer in words. He's looking for an answer in action, right? He says, the actions I'm looking for is that you would follow me. You would deny yourself and you would take up your cross. <clears throat> if I were to answer Jesus myself, not again in words, but directly with the actions of my life, I don't think it would be super clear that I live solely for Jesus' sake. I mean, right? Like, none of us are perfect. We sin every day. And so my actions, right, would, would tell a different story. In fact, I think my, the actions of my life at times reveal that I'm trying to gain just a little bit more of the world, right? Some days more than others, not every day, but just a little bit more of the world. And so <clears throat> what, I, what I discover at times, even in my, my faith is growing, right? Um, I'm being renewed by the word, right? I see this tension where these earthly desires that I had before I knew Christ, right, would resurface even now as a Christian. And I want to drift towards a life of comfort, right? I want to drift towards the idea, right, of I want to get paid more and I want to work less. I'm longing for recognition from others for who I am. What about your life? Do you see any persisting desires to gain more of the world? As followers of Jesus, we have made a decision when we first believed to follow him. But this decision must be a deliberate decision that we make every day. Why should we follow Jesus? Jesus gave us his life, and that was his answer. And now, we are to answer with our own lives. In verse 27, Jesus says, The Son of Man is going to come with his angels in glory, and he will judge all people rightly. Um, this is a promise to us, right? That as his followers, we choose to follow him, we will be glorified with him as well. The last section is uh, how we follow Jesus. <clears throat> I have three points of application. Um, this is not one of them, but I, I would say this, right? Like just 
speaking, you know, as a fellow believer, um, man, I don't remember the last time I just took like a personal retreat, not like a church retreat, but a personal retreat to say, I need to like go alone off on my own and just kind of like detach, not from reality, but like detach from just my routines, right? My, my routines of like, just like, all right, work, home, dinner, Logan, next day, let's go, weekend, church, like, don't we live that life? So my encouragement for myself and for all of you, right? Um, let's have a personal retreat. Um, yeah, we can have church retreats. It's cool, it's cool you know, it's awesome to, to get away together. But I think having a personal retreat is um, in the same way how Jesus went to go and pray on his own in the morning, right? to be undistracted for just even a few hours. Um, I hope that, you know, like, like our, our morning devos would be like a taste of that, but sometimes we need like a fullness of, of, of tasting that, right? So designate some personal time, um, you know, whenever in your schedule, but it's, it's my encouragement to myself and to you guys. All right, my first application of how we follow Jesus is to look at whom we're following. Look at whom we're following. In Pat's sermon last week, right, as believers, we we start at the point of realization of who God is, right? At the point that we say, oh, I realize that, that realization, then we respond and then we worship appropriately. What's most important in terms of like following, living for something, right? It's about who you're following knowing that the person that you are following is worth following. And that's our Savior Jesus. He is our aim. He is our treasure. And the better we know him, right, the better we can follow his example. So we must stare at him. Him alone. Yeah, we have people that we want to imitate because they inspire us, right? But Jesus alone is who we need to stare at more and more. Let's do that through meditating on scripture and our time of prayer. Second point of application is we must identify where we need to deny ourselves. Identify where we need to deny ourselves. I mean, the first question is, have you fully denied yourself as the one that holds authority over your life? And said, you know what? It's Jesus. It's God who holds that authority. Have you, have you made a decision yet? Because maybe it's just like, oh, yeah, I'm willing to, like, trust him because he died for me, right? But who you are as a whole, as a person, everything that you you understand of yourself to be, are you able to hand that over to him? And once you have, then let's get more specific, right? What are the areas of our lives that Jesus is calling us to deny ourselves? Specifically, I would say, let's write them down, right? Let's write them down and let's pray about that. At the root of it, what are those things we're still holding and not willing to submit under his authority, right? Once we have that list, then I want to ask you, right, are you sharing this with other believers? We have discipleship groups, small groups that meet midweek, and even if it doesn't work with your schedule for those nights and stuff, right, um, man, it is a biblical commandment to meet and gather, um, to encourage one another, 
to keep each other accountable, to confess to one another. So let's let's make it make it happen and not be like ah oh, like I'm, I'm a little busy for that, right? I'm a little busy for discipleship. Um, here at Savior Discipleship Group is how we pursue our discipleship of Jesus together. It's where we confess. It's where we encourage. It's where we keep each other accountable. And we see that as the primary place to do that. Now, if you're unable to make it, that's not an excuse to say, ah, well, then I guess I don't do those things, right? Because that's just a convenience of how we've logistically organized it, right? But the biblical commandment is, is for every believer. Where we need to say, this is where I need to deny myself, we're not alone, right? I'm sure we're all struggling with very similar things. And God knows that, right? And he, he wants us to be a body to, to live that and work that out. <clears throat> My last uh, application is to remember the cross as you take yours up daily. Remember the cross as you take yours up daily. The command to take up our cross and follow Jesus is not a one-time decision. It's not a one-time commandment. It is a daily, continuous commandment. I have to ask myself, you know, as I'm prepping this, a very simple question. Do I think about the cross or Jesus' sacrifice for my benefit, for our benefit, daily? Does that thought come across my mind? To me, it's in our everyday routines that it feels ordinary, that, you know, like, ah, day in and day out, do it, do it again, do it again, rinse and repeat, right? But it's in those moments, it's when we need to obey Jesus. If I'm to be a living sacrifice at home towards my family, at work towards my coworkers, towards my boss, here with Savior people, serving and fellowshipping, right? Thinking about the cross, thinking about Jesus' sacrifice, would absolutely produce a different outcome in each of those contexts, right? Because I'm called to follow Jesus, and I'm thinking about what Jesus did for me. Coming from an Asian American background, um, some of you guys may relate with this, and not everyone is, but um, I think it, it's a very common mentality culturally, right? Culturally, that uh, we are to be hardworking. We are to be de determined. Um, and so when it comes to sacrifice, you just do it, right? You just soldier up. You show no emotions. You just suck it up. Put on a facade and just be like, ah, yes, anything, right? <clears throat> I'm guilty of times, oftentimes, right? I'm just like, I'm just going to do it. Like, I just need to do it. Just, I'm going to do it. Um, if we were really examine ourselves, like, like, what does that mean to just to just go for it and not look at the cross, right? This habit, this cultural habit that is found in me, that's found in some of us, right? It means that the cross, it implies that it's not necessary. It's by our own merit. It's by our own works that we can sacrifice without looking at what Christ has done, without looking at Christ's sacrifice. In order for us to follow Jesus and take up our cross daily, we have to look to Jesus who took up his cross for us, he paid the ultimate price with his life, and now we respond in worship to do the same as a living sacrifice for other people. Following Jesus means that we are to imitate him. We are to live as he lived, 
to value what he values, to proclaim what he proclaimed, to love as he loved. My brothers and sisters in Christ, to my non-believing friends, and to my son, this is my conviction. Follow our Savior Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for what you've done. We want to take a moment to just remember that you died for us. You paid the costs of our sin with your own life. It's something that we could never repay you for. It's something that we never even asked for. But you did out of love. You did out of grace. And so, Lord, we want to respond to your sacrifice. We want to follow you as you have explained to us what it means to follow you, right? God, in the areas that we need to deny ourselves, God, I pray that we would take a real cold, hard look at our state. I would also pray, God, that you help us to see that there is no state that we are unsavable. There is no state, there is no sin that is you cannot forgive. For you have paid it all. So we just want to respond in gratitude and thanks and praise to your work. We want to respond in taking up our own crosses. Not just that one time we decided to follow you, but today and each day from here on out, God. Help us to be deliberate about how we follow you, how we become your disciples. God, we thank you for your grace that you share with us, that your eternal life is a free gift that you've given us because you have paid that cost. You have reconciled us to the Father. And all we can do, God, is give thanks and live for you. God, it it is so nuanced in each of our lives of what it means to be a living sacrifice. But I pray that we would come to you honestly and that we would be there for one another to sacrifice, to live for you, to live for others because that's what you've done for us. Thank you and we pray that you would be exalted in this week as we reflect upon this truth of what it means to follow you and why we should follow you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.